the uh, Hot Day edition of the Laurie and Jillian Show, My Talk 1071, Everything Entertainment. And I'd like to go on record as saying, unlike the money grubbers at Disney, <laughs> this show will never be reimagined. Right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> no matter okay. how much we might happen. think we could do it. No. Yeah, no. Oh, no. All right. Kind okay. of younger, fresher, LoJ, and no. a little Donald coming no. out of no. communication no, school. No, no, no. not going to happen. You don't see it? No, no. they're going to no. have to make their own footsteps. Oh, dear. Whoever they are. Okay. <laughs> um, Julia, yes, I thought of you this morning when I saw the dazzling spectacle of oh, Barbara yeah. Streisand in Chicago with Ariana Grande popping up on stage to sing a duet together. Enough is enough. Which I know you love. Oh from my what gosh. movie? It isn't from a movie. It, it wasn't was a ever Donna from a movie. Summer okay. and Barbara Streisand collaboration. Okay, it wasn't ever no. in uh, no, it's a not movie. In a soundtrack. movie. Okay, uh-huh. I see you are the arbiter. Well, here's a little uh, listen to the ladies up on stage singing Enough is Enough. I wish we had a camera so you could see Julia. But I think, it, and, and Barbara is shaking it up. She was wearing boots, a short dress, and a cape, and her hair is still beachy curly. She's, she's not wearing one of her Donna Karen shoulder cutout high neck dresses. I mean, she's really, if I could just get her to wear a little more blush. Oh, she needs makeup so bad. I would be <laughs> so happy about that. But we, someone posted that on our on the my talk well, the show page. page if yeah, you if you want it. And Ariana looked really cute. I mean, I noticed it was a dream for her. It it, it seemed like for a anybody. dream uh, for anybody <laughs> well, to get up there. It, it really would be. But Barbara doesn't usually share her stage. Well, she's shared it with Chris Christopherson. But she's been with. It. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. She. This isn't. I think she's trying to be more relevant and have some fun. Oh, she These doesn't songs, need to try and be relevant. That, I mean, how fun would it be? Ariana Grande is getting to perform with her her biggest things. She did the NSYNC thing at Bonnaroo. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think Barbara is trying to be relevant well, or I anything. Think that she loves it, though, that these young successful artists adore her that's great but i mean i now if she's willing to do this i i'm, I'm waiting for adele to pop up or um you Lizzo. know what i mean let all kinds of Lizzo's people pop up a- oh do it <laughs> do it barbara i'm here we're here for it. but that must have been really exciting but i was really super impressed with barbara's styling yeah she looked good and she at madison good. square garden last weekend she changed it up she is I think she's having fun. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. She's loosening up and mm-hmm. realizing she's got great legs. Show them off. She had a little hose on. I don't know if you listened to the show the day that Jason was reimagining his body. If he came back as a MyTalk um, worker, you know, as a MyTalk person, what body parts he would have from everybody. Did you ever hear that either, no, you guys? I, I, today? No, this was last week, I think. Okay. He wanted your legs. Uh-huh. He wanted to have 
um, Bradley's chest, chest and arms. Oh, yeah, my gosh. He wanted to have um, a strange looking person. Holly's <laughs> eyes and mouth. Mm-hmm. What body um, part of yours? He didn't want any. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just fine. I thought he'd pick my breasts, I at least because he's been fondling them for 18 years. Yeah, oh, exactly. But he picked Dawn's breasts. You know, oh, younger, he has to show younger. He did, and he has to show solidarity to his show. Yeah, course, unlike but, Donnie, if he were yes. picking out body parts, we'd be the last. We wouldn't even make the body. Oh, right. the and I, think it was oh, I a, wouldn't say that. Okay. I think it was Alexis's hair. Oh, for crying out loud. Yeah. But it was kind of funny. Yeah, if yeah. He, he was just like dreaming, you know, if I had this and that. And everything, but I want Lori Bargini's legs. And I'm like, that's a damn good pair of legs to have. It's the, the, the legs are the last to go. That's what you say. I No, never that felt, is true. I've never felt that way about my legs. But, but I mean, as I'm a general rule. My face is the last yeah, to go. Well, you can pick your fanny or your face. That's damn. what they say. That's yep. what Catherine Deneuve claims. Yes. And by picking your face, that means you pick carrying a little bit more weight because you need well, to have it like to I'll give you like there was somebody at my reunion this weekend okay. who uh, super gaunt. Yes. Looks looks older. So a person looks older they when do. they're really, really yeah. thin. And that's why they put hmm. the injectables in your face to make it to fill out the, you know, stuff. Give the volume. Yeah. To give the volume to in the, the sag. Volume to the sag, yeah. as it were. Mm-hmm. Well, I've just been really having fun since our show yeah. started and lifted up a pen that's ink has gone everywhere. Well, you I feel are, like I'm finger painting. You're wearing a cream silk blouse, and you are very lucky you did not I have the it. exploding pen. I am. I have hairspray. You know, they always say that's oh, the that's trick. Oh, that's right. Donnie told us that, I feel yeah. like. It does. Uh, and I, also, the uh, the product that... Uh, who's the guy from the mall of Oh, America? yeah. The um, cleaning guy? Oh, yeah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Lori, our guy. What he guy? dates Ross Rayla. He's his partner. Oh, Patrick. 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 Yes. Michael Patrick. Patrick. Yes. Mona Lisa. No, Mona Lisa. Yes, I bought Not this Mona stuff. Williams. Mona Williams. <laughs> Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah, I bought a bottle of the stuff he recommended off uh, Amazon. Works great. Yeah, Patrick oh, I, Williamson. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I bought his product too, and I, that does get out the stains, mm-hmm. Donnie. Yeah. Ariana Grande, by the way, you know she released a new song last week. We played it. It was when you were gone. It's mm-hmm. called Boyfriend. Oh yeah. And it's with Social House. They're singing on it that they're the her opening act. And These two rap- guys, okay. Okay, now she's dating one of them. Do you believe they're dating, or I, do, I, I you do. listen to oh, Cobra to go. see if it's oh, yeah. a conspiracy? <laughs> no, no, no. This one, I. Hey, uh, Laurie, you swore up and down about Camila Cabela and Shawn Mendes. Camila, well, I was, I was hot and horny for their kissing. I just enjoyed seeing it. I like it better. Like sometimes the stage romances, you don't really get much except for planted stories. We were getting full on. I still think they had a summer fling. So do I. Yeah, they started out as friends. Then they moved to Friends with Benefits. Then they moved to Friends with Benefits to promote their album. And now they're moving apart as just friends. That's right. So anyway, that's she's who she's dating because she's on the tour. It's so convenient. That's how that like a show is man's how on a movie. Faith Hill and Tim McGraw that's fell right. in love. She was his warm-up band. She was opening act. Yep, You're right. I saw that concert at the Metrodome. You did. And yeah. remember, they were up at the Wii Fest too, and she was in the white tank, muscle shirt, and jeans, and he was in his cowboy hat and jeans. But neither of them were made. They were both single. They were very both single. single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea, though. If you're the head, you know, mm-hmm. if you're the lead band, just say, yeah. that one's single. Let's put her on my tour. Right. Or that guy's single. I feel like um, the Miranda Lambert would do this. Did you know who she did? Was yep. a major league pitcher? Who? Tim McGraw's dad. Yeah. Yes. He didn't have a relationship with, unfortunately. 
Because and he froze himself. I don't know what it was. Maybe a drinker? His dad was Tug. Tug, Tug McGraw. McGraw. And yeah. he froze himself, remember? Did he really? No, he froze. you were thinking of Ted Williams. Yes, Ted I am. Ted <laughs> Who cryogenically yes, froze his he head? Did. Yeah, I knew there was some. Tad. I mean, if that isn't the creepiest thing ever, like if my dad said that, I would just tell him, "Yeah, yeah, we'll do that." We'll put you on ice, Dad. Yeah, I never would do <laughs> it. Wink, wink, nudge. Yeah, no, uh-huh, uh, sure, Daddy. <laughs> All right, listen. Um, oh my gosh, uh, we're gonna do our vintage scandal today at three thirty. We have an uh, uh, entertainment reporter and journalist who's been working on this book. For 20 years, it's uh, basically if you think you know everything about the Manson family murders because you read the book Helter Skelter. Like which, you thought uh, you did and told right. me about it. That's right. Everything that we we know that Manson's, you know, did the ordering, you know, he was the, in, you know, he was uh-huh. a, really an evil, evil man. And they did com- commit these murders. But there might be something else. Everything we think is fact may, in fact, be fiction. And this book is jaw-dropping. So we're going to talk to... Thanks for hanging out with us. Well, yesterday, you know, the internet was uh, shook over the fact that Dakota Johnson closed her gap. And I said, that's the end of good luck for Dakota. You did. And then I went down and I kept looking that up. Yeah. And if it if it, it is indeed that. And I got a lot of dental websites. Yeah, no, it is considered uh, good luck, maybe by the Chinese. Okay. Okay, to have, have that like space. A, a good gap. Have a gap. And Mind then if the you gap. close it naturally, then you lose your good luck. Okay. Okay. So she happens to be on Jimmy Fallon last night promoting the movie The Peanut Butter Falcon. What the heck is that about? I, I don't know. I feel like it's based title. on a book because a, of the title, and that's become a movie. And I feel like it's a spy drama. Oh, so it's not a. Cartoon I have no idea. Anything. I have no, no, no. It is not a, ca- a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> it um, sounds like it to me. It does. I, I'm just basically. It's a very interesting. The only thing I ever think of is peanut butter legs. Yes, yeah. we know, and we've heard yes, all yes. that story about yes. how you spread them. Yeah, so that was from Lori's dad. No, my uncle. Oh, you you really had some dirty people in your life. <laughs> you really were blessed with a colorful childhood, Lori. Yeah, after running away from a residential nursing home, I was so off to pursue his dream of becoming a pro wrestler. A man who has Down syndrome befriends an outlaw who becomes his coach and ally. Uh, Shia LaBeouf is in this also. Okay. With um, hmm. is it getting any stars or anything? I've never even uh, heard of it. Well, uh, I, I, it might be based on a book. Tomatoes. It it sounds like it's like you know a, a kind I, of a story that would be based on a book. But I got to find that out. Um, it's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's yeah. only twenty one reviews. Right, but still, well, that's, that's still not, pretty good. Yeah. 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 yeah, so maybe Donnie, when we get a second one of us, can look was up. Was it based it, on a book? Was it based okay. on a book mm-hmm. and? Um, Anyway, so she was on promoting this, and of yes. course Fallon is like, she was at the premiere the night before, and he's like, you know, everyone is all shook over your, your, your gap. gap. Not being there anymore. Not being there, your little signature yeah. gap, okay? So here's uh, Dakota Johnson. Hey, I have to t- talk to you about something, because uh, there's been some headlines about you last couple of days. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's really stressing me out. Well, <laughs> your fans are upset, because apparently everyone's broken hearted that the gap in your teeth is not there anymore. 
and fans are heartbroken. People are upset. No one knows what to say. What is going on? <laughs> what, the gap is gone? What's up? Yeah. Well, first of all, the fact that this is a newsworthy event I in, agree. <laughs> in, our, in our world right I now agree. is pretty... Shaka Khan to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Shaka Khan. Shaka like yeah, why is everyone obsessed? Well, so I had a per <laughs> I had a permanent retainer since I was like 13 and it was just glued to the back of my teeth. My kids and are I used. was having a lot of neck problems recently, so my my orthodontist, she decided that it would be a good idea to take it off and see if my jaw sort of expanded and it helped me and my gap closed by itself and I'm really sad about it too. So, okay, she's so really sad about it. Yeah. But do, you, do you love that? That she did address that. That yeah, you know, I'm pretty shocked. Gone to me too. So. Did you see her dress with the paper mache flower on the front? Da, you, when you watch that whole interview, she is so charming. She is beyond charming. Yeah. She really is. She was the only good thing about Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, she really is, darling. Yeah, yeah, I would, she's I'd got, give you that. She's got this lightness or something about mm -hmm. her. She's just very charming. That book, uh, her her movie, Peanut Butter Falcon, is not based on a book. It is not. Yeah, no. It's a feel good niche indie with its priorities in the right place. Oh well, that's it's a modern like... day fa fable. I love it. Yeah, that so, sounds good. Anyway, it got it got uh, some the Spotlight Audience Award at South by Southwest. Oh, really? Past, okay. Yeah. All right, we'll take it. So, do you have one more, Dakota? Yeah. Okay. Still on the same theme. Okay. Hold on. This is really important. Yeah. I'm sad about my gap tooth, too, so I'd really appreciate some privacy in this time. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I think it looks beautiful. You well, I have to deal with a whole new world of problems. No. Getting food stuck in my tooth. That's your new thing? Yeah, because before it would just slide right through. So the whole, your whole life has changed, and you're, you're dealing with it as well. Yeah. Just as much as the public and your fans are dealing with it, you're yeah, dealing with it's issues. It's going to come back. The gap will come back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Mike, and I'm so excited to tell you about Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. We're all busy, and with Factor, eating fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals has never been simpler. Two minutes is all you need to heat and eat wherever you are. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash LJPod50 and use code LJPod50 to get 50% off. That's code LJPod50 at factormeals.com slash LJPod50 to get 50% off. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Other retainers. Do you need to get a retainer? The world of dentistry is so advanced. Wait, are you serious about this? Because what if, dude, what if you what? come back and you get a gap and then your neck hurts? <laughs> then what? 
Yeah, I can't well, her neck stand already him. hurts. Her neck already hurts from having to hang out with Gwyneth Paltrow at the beach. No, it hurts from having to talk to him. Oh, I man. don't know why I can't stand him because Post Malone was his next guest. Yes, and, and did they sing together? Uh, no, I mean, oh, Post Malone played a little. They played a little bit of his third album is getting coming out in September. You know, um, they added Excel, a sec- They added a second show. A second show. I love Post Malone, mm-hmm. and he. Um, was talking about, so it's called Circles, the song that they sampled. A little bit of the new song. It sounded to me like the old stuff. Yeah. But I'm sure it's going to be better. But no, they played Beer Pong. Yeah. But last night when um, she left Jimmy Fallon's show, she was with um, Chris Martin. Mm-hmm. And the driver of their car hit a pedestrian. Oh, dear. Yes. Um, and the pedestrian is fine, suffered pain in her right foot and was transported to a hospital yeah. but uh, today she had to hang out on the beach with Gwyneth and Brad and and then she of course was with Chris Martin See, Gwyneth has told Chris keep this one I've already halfway broken her into the new way of life <laughs> sleeping in the marital bed going on Lori, trips together honest to Pete I mean really I mean it's it's she's and you know what here's the thing with Dakota that's that Gwyneth is probably, you know, reminding Chris the fact that she's from Hollywood people. She already kind of under- has an understanding she with his kids. Game. Yeah. Because she was the, pro- you know, her parents were famous. And like, John would- Johnson and Melanie, Melanie Griffith. Griffith. So you can see why Gwyneth would be like, yeah, she's not like some outsider, someone who doesn't have any uh-huh. idea. She's uh-huh. Hollywood insider. Had divorced parents, had the step parent, had the parents, parents marry each other again. Yes, I mean she's really in a unique. Uh, but you can think about bonus, uh, you know, yep. position that way. But and according Gwyneth is so controlling, Lori, you just, over her ex husband. Honestly, no, it's honestly. so true, Lori. Julia, she controls her ex husband. No, Lori she does. This, and no, I'm she gonna, does. Lori, what? Oh, when did you? I talked to Gwyneth this morning. The only thing <laughs> I will calls, give credit to Gwyneth for is she was the first celebrity to do the blog thing and figure out how to mon- monetize it. That's all. She was a good actress. I love But Simon. I'm just saying that she was the first one to do an offshoot of some. Uh, that's what I give her credit for. She, her cookbook sell. But I mean, she started with the blog, the goop thing, and she figured out a way to monetize Ooh. it and then the cookbook. So that's, I give her credit for that, you know? Wow, that but, was big of you. Well, I mean, yeah. that's a wow. fact. Well, I can't her. believe you acknowledged it. Well, I know. I'm acknowledging <laughs> it. But I'm just, you know, I just think that is why Gwyneth is so, you know, really pro-Dakota. I swear to God, if we were sitting in a bar and Gwyneth sat next to you, you oh. would turn around and tell her how much you love her. Oh, no, I would not. Oh, yeah, you no, would. No, I wouldn't. You would try and do that. And uh-uh. she would turn around. She'd turn uh-uh. her back on you. What? Uh-uh. Hey, hey. Yeah, no, she just turned her back on you. I swear okay. to God. Listen, we gotta go. We gotta oh, go. We get, when you gonna... and Brad Pitt had that hairdo together, I loved it. So did. Located in uh, Milton Square in St. Anthony Park, they are a neighborhood book and gift store, and you can buy the Lori and Julia Book Club books, books in person at the store online at windingtrailbooks.com. All right. So our author today, Tom O'Neill, is joining us. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi there. How you doing? We are good. The name of your book is Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s. And um, Tom, I like. I think I'm about the same age as you are, and I was. I remember that summer of '69 being a kid and the Manson murders, and then later when the Helter Skelter book came out, reading that whole book, and I have always felt for years I knew the story 
of what happened with the murders. And then you have to take the story from here with what happened and where we are with this book because it's pretty unbelievably fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, for people who aren't familiar with the book, um, the prosecution motive for why Sharon Tate, who was the wife of the film director, Rose, excuse me, Roman Polanski, and and the others were killed, was that Manson wanted to ignite a race war, pitting blacks against whites by making it look like Black Panthers had had killed these people. In fact, um, I found out after... Well, many, many two years of reporting Mm -hmm. that there were different reasons for the murders, different ways they occurred. And the prosecutor, Vincent Bugliosi, actually um, covered up the truth about the case and the crimes and created a much more sensational motive in order to sell books and kind of get a ticket to fame. Uh, His book to this day, Helter Skelter, is the best-selling true crime book of all time. And my book is kind of the antidote to that that explains what not definitively happened, but I feel what didn't happen and and what everyone thinks they know about the case. And and one of the things that I... The book is called Chaos. Yeah, Chaos. Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s. And it really, it is not, you know, I, I, I like how you are telling the story, the investigation that you did, all the people that you talked to 20 years. Dominic Dunn warned you, don't Follow mm-hmm. this story, you're going to fall down the rabbit hole because he covered that trial. Right. But I, one of the takeaways that I've always, because I read that book, Helter Skelter, a couple of times, was that Terry Melcher, Doris Day's son, he was a record producer. He met Manson, hung out at the with the at the abandoned movie ranch, and promised Charlie a deal, a recording deal. And when he reneged on it that he became afraid of Manson. He and Candace Bergen go to Europe and he rents the house to Roman Polanski and Terry Melcher was really who was supposed to be killed that night. And you say a contraire and you find out actual proof. Yeah, yeah. And with all due respect, I have to correct a little okay. bit of that. Um, yeah, Terry Melcher and Candace Bergen uh, rented the house as well uh, from 67 to 69. And when they moved out, uh, they broke their lease and left in the middle of the night. But they didn't rent it to Roman Polanski. Okay. Uh, the house was owned by someone else named Rudy Altabelli. And he rented it to Roman and Sharon, who only lived there a couple of months. Uh, and then both, you know, from they were there February and March. And then both of them went to Europe to do separate film projects. Sharon returned the day before the moon landing. So 50 years ago, July 20th, I believe. And was just there, you know, about three more weeks before she was killed, and she was heavily pregnant, about eight, eight, eight and a half months. Um, but Terry Melcher was the reason in Bugliosi's presentation that the house was chosen, right? Not because he had promised uh, Manson a deal, but um, Manson. Well, I guess you could say that Bugliosi contends that Manson misinterpreted some signals from Melcher, but I don't think. Belcher promised him a deal or was ever interested in recording, and there was something else going on in their relationship. And what I uncovered was documentation showing that Melcher's relationship was just very different than he had said on the, he had testified about on the stand. And, and um, not only was it much more extensive and involved, but Bugliosi at the trial 
had Melcher say that he never saw Manson again after a final kind of, uh, he did audition the group at the Spawn Ranch, the movie ranch outside of Los Angeles in May of 1969. And he, he wasn't interested in recording them and was polite and left. And that was supposedly the last time he ever thought about Manson or saw him. Mm -hmm. But what I found was evidence in Bugliosi's own hand that uh, Melcher's relationship with Manson and the family extended beyond the murders and, and uh, that Melcher was visiting Manson after the murders in some very dramatic situations, uh, including Melcher at one point falling on his knees, according to a police report, and begging forgiveness uh, from Manson for something. Unfortunately, the police reports didn't detail why. And then after that, there was another visit Manson, or Melcher made to Manson way out in Death Valley, which was a good six-hour drive from uh, Melcher's home at, at, where he lived in Malibu at that point. So my book uh, basically kind of peels away the fake story, shows the true story about Melcher and Manson as much as I could prove, and then you see it's written in the first person. So I have these encounters with uh, Melcher and a bunch of other people from that Mm -hmm. rock and roll kind of Hollywood world of 69 with this evidence and you get to see how they react to it and then I later show Bugliosi the same stuff and his reaction was almost identical to Melcher's both of them said if I published what I found they would sue, sue me and my mm -hmm. publisher and they also threatened me personally um, unfortunately wow. both men aren't alive and, right yeah yeah and unfortunately, yeah, both men aren't alive anymore, and I really wanted them to be alive, to be held to account, um, to answer to the questions that they didn't answer honestly with me. Um, but you do see what they did to try to stop the book and, and stop me, which is pretty traumatic reading as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, so, it, uh, the fact that Terry Melcher, you know, he kind of went... Like he, it's like he bought into the fiction of that story and that he had yeah. kept meeting with man, you know, afterwards. Mm -hmm. And he lived like kind of for the rest of his life, like he was kind of the terrorized person. I mean, maybe I, well, I mean, he, was haunted. he was haunted, haunted by it. Okay. He also had, had these secrets that he never shared. And, and he was really, when I met him finally face to face in 2001 or 2000, he was like just a, a shell of a man. I mean, he had all the money in the world and all mm -hmm. the success in the world, but he still was clearly living with this lie and was, you know, in bad shape emotionally, uh, psychologically, and died a few years after that. Um, I, mean, I think if he had just been honest about what he knew at the beginning, but I think if he had been honest, you know, the murders might not have happened when they happened. Right. Oh, it's if just so yeah, fascinating. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Tom O'Neill. Um, one of the co-authors of the book Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s. And this project for you, Tom, all started out with you getting an assignment from a now-defunct magazine premiere. And I love that magazine. <laughs> I did, too. And, and for 20 years, you've kind of, you not kind of, but you've been obsessed. And you've, you've gone from uh, one publisher to another. Is that not true? Yeah, it's true. I don't like to admit it, but sure. right, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to call it. I'm That's sorry. Okay. Your, sorry for calling yeah. you out on it. And the other interesting well, thing that I didn't I'm know glad about. that you were obsessed with it yeah. because I find it Lori wildly was obsessed. Well, I think anyone who has read Helter mm -hmm. Skelter and it's got to be a lot of people. The fact that you know you have 
this guy from Minnesota, Hibbing, Minnesota, Vincent Bugliosi, same age as Charles Manson, looking like the button-down man, and there's Charlie Man. I mean, it was such a fascinating point in like a, a before and after in our history, kind of in a in a weird way. And and for people, would you agree with that? Yeah, does your broadcast go out to Hibbing? Uh, anyone, anyone can, can listen hear it anywhere. Yeah. Oh, boy, because I know he has a lot of family there, and I'm already getting a lot of, Are uh, you? let's just say, hate hate mail from one person in his family. Uh, that, you know, the interesting thing, though, too, that I don't know that of our, our listeners know, because I didn't know this before today, mm-hmm. Lori, is that Vincent Bugliosi was the prosecuting attorney on the murder case. Yeah. And, then, and then he wrote the book. Then he wrote the book. Elter Skelter. Yes. Not only that, he had his co-author in the courtroom with him from the first day of the trial. He was playing as much to his future readers as he was playing to the jury. I mean, he knew he needed to make the trial as sensational as possible. And he didn't have to work that hard because the Manson family was up to their own crazy yes. theatrics. Yeah, they were uh, showing Julio's. themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know... Uh, one... you see that... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say that, I mean, one of the things, the questions that you do come up in your search for what really was the motive, we know that these guys were the killers, but why was law enforcement so lax with Charles Manson, who was on parole and basically a a career con? You know, why? Yeah. that yeah. is a big question. I mean, that they had a raid at the ranch a week after the Manson murders. Everyone was released two days later, and then they get rearrested. Three, I mean, you really do uncover some. Okay, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, that's why it took so long. <laughs> For instance, just to get Manson's federal parole file took about two years of Freedom of Information Act requests to the you know U.S. Probation and Parole Office, and they released documents to me very, very slowly, always redacted. I'd have to appeal to get more information. I still don't have the whole file. I have about two-thirds, maybe three-quarters, and a lot of it's redacted, but there's enough in there to see that Manson was arrested many, many more times and had been reported, released many more times, and he had a parole officer who was basically uh, knowledgeable of what he was doing and, and had actually become foster parent to one of Manson's children for about three or four months in 68. And beyond that, even when two of the women were in, in jail awaiting sentencing in a, in a case a, a year before the murders, this same parole officer uh, went to the sentencing probation sentencing officer who decides whether or not to recommend Mm -hmm. the women be sent to prison or or be given probation. And he recommended, and Roger Smith identified himself as a parole officer with experience. And he said, I know both these women, they're good women. They just got led astray, but they'll be fine. Let them out. But what he didn't tell them was that he had been a parole officer for the man that led their criminal circle and, and, and it introduced them to the life of crime. And both those women ended up killing for Manson less than a year later, less than eight months later. They were released in, um, I think it was about a year later. So they were released in September 68. And Susan Atkins famously, you know, according to her version, stabbed Sharon Tate to death while Sharon Tate begged for the life of her baby to be spared. And both Susan Atkins and Mary Bruner, who Manson's parole officer had also recommended, 
for, for probation instead of prison. They both killed a musician named Gary Hinman uh, by smothering him to death while he, he had already been shot and stabbed by a third member, Bobby Beausoleil. So these women weren't good women. No, it right. doesn't sound uh, like it. And the, uh, we have to we have yeah. to stop you. We got to take a quick break. We're talking with Tom okay. O'Neill. His new book uh, is out. It's been a twenty year journey for him. Chaos. Charles Manson, the CIA, the secret history of the sixties. When we come back, we want to talk. I mean, you really well, I want to ask trial and tribulations. We want to talk about your encounter with Tom Cruise, of course. At the end, but I, I also want to. It's interesting to me that all this stuff with uh, Manson being the lax parole. I mean, anyone who's read a detective book, you're like, oh, he's an informant. You know, he's a CI. Uh, yeah. Yep. So we got to yep. talk about yep. what you discovered about that uh, uh, sure thing. possibility. Our, we'll be right back. Reap. Bess, if you read the book Helter Skelter, the most popular true crime book ever, and you think you know everything that happened with the Manson murders, uh, you're going to want to take a look and pick up this book, Chaos. Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s. We're talking to Tom O'Neill, longtime journalist and entertainment reporter. And Tom, when we left off with you, we were just talking about why was law enforcement so lack with lax with Charles Manson and kind of going to bat for, you know, the two women who ended up murdering Sharon Tate and being involved with the murders a year later. Was he did you find evidence that he was a confidential informant? Well, as crazy as that sounds, I did, and I don't like to reach that conclusion myself. Okay. I, when you get, if you see the book, you'll see I had other law enforcement people look at his record of catch and release, uh, and in particular, one who was the head DA of Van Nuys during the, the same period Manson was out there committing the crime. Mm-hmm. He was retired. I brought all of these documents to him, and he said, you know, Sometimes this can be blamed on incompetence or bureaucratic mix-up. But he said, after looking at page after page after page of stuff I'd gotten from the federal parole office, he said, this is, I mean, he was pretty upset. He goes, he, this was definitely someone wanted him outside instead of inside because he was more valuable to them. And I said, so you're saying an informant? He said, I'm saying he was sharing information Mm -hmm. at a minimum, and they were allowing him to remain at large. And he said, you've got to find out who he was working for. And I said, well, who could that be? And he said, well, it could have been a federal agency. It could have been state, local, you know, sheriffs, LAPD, FBI. And you see in the book that I I write about a few programs that were in existence in 1969 uh, operated by the federal government to actually infiltrate hippie groups and uh, try to provoke them to commit crimes against, uh, well, in this case, mostly black panthers and Mm -hmm. black militants, uh, including committing crimes that would uh, result in murder. And all this stuff came out. This program was called COINTELPRO. And uh, CIA program was called Chaos. This came out in the mid-70s. There are congressional hearings into it. There's a lot of information out there on the program. So wow. I know it sounds crazy. Yeah, but it's it's like, so but fascinating. This it, book is so fascinating. You know, it, and for people who are just joining us, Tom, um, this started out as a magazine assignment. and it turned, On the 30-year anniversary, how did yeah. Hollywood... It sounds like the Quentin Tarantino movie, you know, like taking a look back at Hollywood and how it changed. Was that sort of... I mean, you had a big parameter for premiere that magazine assignment but is that was that sort of the premise like did it change hollywood how did it start yeah yeah, yeah. actually ironically my original assignment was 
they just said write about the 30th anniversary, and I said write why? You know, everything's <laughs> been written about this right. case. This is 1999, and my editor, who I'd worked with before, said you'll find an angle. She said just begin with how it changed Hollywood, like the impact on the community of people who lived, you know, and were friends with the victims, and. Kind of, that is what Tarantino ended up making his movie about, mm-hmm. you know, what he calls the loss of innocence and the changing mores of of Hollywood of that community. Uh, he got the book uh, about a month ago with a mutual friend, and she she said, I'll give him the book, but I have to read it first, because obviously anybody that's close to, to, to Tarantino gets approached by everybody in the world. Oh, oh absolutely, sure. So oh, she said, as long as I as, as long as I think he'll he'll want to read it, I'll give it to him. And she said, I couldn't put it down. Oh my gosh, I, I feel the same way. And... <laughs> yes, I'm still waiting to hear what he thought. I have a feeling he's a little too busy right now. Yeah, to read he it. might we'll be. But um, okay, yeah. so another thing, Tom, you talk about in your book, Chaos, about the relationship with Charles Manson and the Beach Boys. Can you tell us a little bit more yeah. about that? Yeah, well, it wasn't really the Beach Boy so much as one Beach Boy, Dennis Wilson, who was the drummer, and he was famously kind of like the really only authentic surfer dude mm-hmm. in the group. Uh, you know, he was the best-looking guy, yeah, the wildest was. guy, and he had an encounter with the, the two of the, the women, and um, when Manson found out where he lived and that he had let the women into his house, he kind of turned up there with the whole group and the bus. And Wilson came home from recording uh, an album with with the band and found the Manson family settled in his house and in the middle of a you know an LSD fueled orgy, which he was not upset about. He joined in and <laughs> they stayed there about three months. And during that period, Manson kind of infiltrated Hollywood, you know, and got a lot of uh, made a lot of friends in the music industry. A lot a lot of people I tried to talk to wouldn't talk to me about it. Neil Young famously. Didn't tell me, but he told another journalist, I think Rolling Stone in the early 70s, that Manson had much deeper ties with the music industry in Hollywood. And a lot of people knew who, him and actually liked him who would never admit it. Wow. Okay, well, so that's yeah. why a lot of those people said no to interviews with you. A lot right, of music people. Right, right. And, they're, and his yes. entree well, was... And actors. Okay, and actors. All right, oh, so gosh. this is... the. We got one copy of the book, so Lori's got I'm it. I'm hogging it She's right hogging now. it, so I'm looking at <laughs> 17,000 sheets of paper that to highlight, Tom, but I get it after her. But here's my question for you, because I know this is off the beaten track, but we've been obsessed with Scientology. We've been on the air. We started our 18th year. And yeah. it's been our thread, and I saw you worked it a little while at the Village Voice, and you worked for us, and and there's a little bit about. Can you tell us about your encounter with your Tom shouting Cruise? match with Tom Cruise about, about Scientology. Scientology? Is that in my book, or did you see that in my clip? It, no, it, no, that's in, in your, your book. book. You write about that to, to <laughs> say we, we to show only... to show the twists and turns that you've had, like in covering Hollywood. You've had some strange encounters. Yeah, we got to yeah, hear that. Yeah. Well, they gave me all the uh, the tough guys, the, the guys that were difficult to interview when I worked in entertainment because I knew I wouldn't back down. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Cruise was actually my first cover story. And I can't remember what year it was, but he was promoting a few good men. And I knew him. We actually worked together before I was a journalist. Actually, I was telling your booker, I, I went to McAllister College yes. uh, for two years. We love yeah, it. And I, 
I love McAllister, but I transferred to NYU because I wanted to be a screenwriter and playwright. And uh, after NYU, I worked in, in the film business and production and worked on Tom Cruise's first big movie, a movie called Taps. That was yes, yes we know that. So I knew him personally. Uh, I mean, not personally, but I met him on that film. And when I did a cover story on him, it was about 10 years later or 15 years later when he was the number one movie, American mm-hmm. male movie star in the world. And got off on a great foot because of our past history and right. appreciation of that. But I wasn't going to let him not talk about Scientology and he'll talk about it. He'll talk your ear off, but he doesn't want on record. to ask him the hard questions. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was asking him about his claim that Scientology had cured him of dyslexia. Right. And that was hotly contested by academics and, and medical professionals. And that's where it got very, very heated and, um, yeah, it was, the interview kind of went south after that, but, you know, you got to ask people tough questions, yeah. so maybe that was good, good I Tom, I'm ready for you to later. do the Tom Cruise book, I, and because, oh my gosh, I bet that is a story. Anyway, your We're book, so- Chaos, Charles Manson, the CA, and the Secret History of the 60s, is fantastic, and if you read Helter Skelter, you. you got to read this book. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah, yeah. it's Tom O'Neill. So, uh, I, I want to hear your show when it airs. I, I mean, I know it airs now, but I'd love to hear a tape of it or something. You can, well, you you can, can read, you can Lori do it on Julia. demand. 